We hope you'll enjoy this episode of Women Worth Knowing. Make sure you rate us on your podcast app, subscribe, and share it with a friend. Well, hello, hello, and welcome again to another episode of Women Worth Knowing. My name is Jasmine Allnut, which I'm sure you figured out. And usually I am joined by Cheryl Broderson. However, it's Cheryl's birthday today, so she is not here today. (laughs) And by the way, full disclosure, uh, we record these episodes in advance. So when you listen to this episode, don't think, oh, it's Cheryl's birthday today. It's not. Her birthday's April 4th. So that's what today is, actually, when we're recording this. <laughs> and I'm actually in studio with uh, Debbie Allnut, my mother. She's back again, folks. One last time, we're going to sneak her in as much as possible. Now that she's retired off the mission field, we are going to have an opportunity to hear from her again. But whenever my mom is here, you guys probably know if you've been listening to our show that we love to do missionary biographies. My mom is the missionary bios guru. No, no pressure, mom. But right. um, <laughs> but today she's going to tell a story that I only heard about from her somewhat recently, and it really uh, blessed me personally, which we'll get to eventually. Yeah. But uh, today we're going to be talking about Maud Carey. Maud Carey. Yeah. So, mom, just take it away. Well, Maud Carey was an American missionary in mm-hmm. Morocco, North Africa. Cool. She was born in 1878, um, daughter of poor Kansas farmers who loved the Lord and his servants. Mm-hmm. So whenever they had an opportunity, if there was a traveling evangelist, Bible teacher, missionary, mm-hmm. um, they would snag them to come and stay in their home. One of the Bible teachers that came through regularly was a Mr. Simpson. He had been a missionary to North Africa. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's and the every, connection. <laughs> oh, every visit he would ask Maud, are you planning to become a missionary? <laughs> and his persistent, repeated question led her to consider the possibility. And at age 18, she mm. decided that she would go out as a missionary. Wow, very young. Yeah. That kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Elizabeth Elliot's story, if anybody's listened to her share about her upbringing. Her family did the same thing. They were constantly having missionaries yes, that's right. come through the house. And, yeah, 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 yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. Anyway. So she enrolled in— um, the Gospel Mission Union Bible Institute Mm -hmm. in Kansas City, Missouri, where her brother Harry had been for three years. Mm -hmm. And she spent the next four years in school and doing city outreach in Kansas and Nebraska, Mm -hmm. preparing for her calling in North Africa. Then on November um, 1st, 1901, the long-awaited day arrived, Mm -hmm. and 23-year-old Maud departed New York Harbor with four young GMU missionaries Mm. for Tangier, Morocco, and it only took them 10 days. Which is pretty amazing, really. Yeah, back in the day, it used to take months to get anywhere, so that's kind of interesting. Wait, now, was this guys, girls, mixed? Didn't say. Oh, just four young missionaries, they all headed (laughs) off. Well, and that's like, that was a five-year process then, so that took a while. Yeah, it took She actually went. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead. So their first (laughs) home was in Fez, where they were met by their language teacher, Mm. And the mission house was set up like this. It had an open court, and in the middle, you know, they could fellowship together. Mm-hmm. And around it were their rooms, which were rather dark. <laughs> <laughs> but Maud, she was a natural linguist, and she dug right into the language study with enthusiasm. <laughs> 29-year-old missionary George Reed had been studying the Berber language, and came to Fez that time from Meknes for consultation and fellowship. 
Maud admired George. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And pioneer. He was a pioneer evangelist and a Bible translator. That's cool. So the following year, Maud and the language students moved to the mission station at Alcazar. Soon after that, decisions were made for the missionaries' future placements. Oh, I see. George Reed was to return to his work with the Berbers, and Maud um, was to stay in um, Alcazar. Okay. George started writing to Maud. Ah, so he <laughs> admired her too. Yes. <laughs> so she pursued studying the Berber language now. Mm. And stayed in that mission house to help two new girls who had arrived from the States for uh, language studies. Okay. Like Maud, these two girls, Belle and Elizabeth, were physically weak. Interesting. Maud suffered from extreme headaches, anxiety, mm-hmm. rheumatism, severe backaches, weakness, sore throats, and laryngitis. Oh, my gosh. Poor I baby. Know, <laughs> but she longed to do pioneer work in the mm. villages. But, of course, that door hadn't opened yet. Interesting. So in the meantime, she used her linguistic gifts for her co-workers and the community there at Alcazar. And this became a repeated pattern in her life to stay behind and help others. Well, the others went out sort of. Oh, that's neat, though. But, you know, that's like that. That scripture, that story, and is it in Kings where the uh-huh. ones that stayed with the stuff were That's just as blessed right. as those who went to battle? Exactly. So, and she yeah. really was because the the mission's house door was always open. Mm. So they never knew who might come in. That's um, cool. It might be four or five little girls, <laughs> a ragged beggar, a poor lady with a sick baby, wow. maybe a gang of teenage Jewish boys, men from the country. Ladies from the better part of town. Wow, that's yeah. a mixed bag. Okay, it, it was, and and all of them were mel- uh, welcomed by mm. Maud, and if necessary, she fed them, she clothed them. Sweet. Um, but to each one, um, she shared the gospel. That's so cool. Yeah, it's just as valid a ministry. <laughs> right, and so she started some Bible classes for boys and girls in <clears throat> indoors, and then outdoors in their neighborhood. They um, they went visiting, mm. and they were sometimes met with opposition or um, rude indifference. Mm. Uh, more than once, Maud yeah. was accosted by a young men who challenged her beliefs and insulted her. It's a little intimidating. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. And smaller children would strike at her and shower her with dust or pebbles um, when she passed them in the street. So I see little kids. Yeah. Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't easy. <laughs> no. No. Um, but she persevered. Yeah. In the meantime, George yes. continued his work among the Berber tribes and produced a Berber gospel of Matthew. Hmm. And then later the GMU translators finished John Acts Romans um, all in colloquial Arabic. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. So George and Maud kept up their correspondence and their friendship, and he proposed to her in January 1908. Aww. She asked him for time to think it over, writing in her diary that night, Heavenly mindness is a stranger to me today. That's so cute. She's thinking of George. (laughs) In a few days later, she told George yes. And they began making future plans, praying together, taking long walks along the uh, seashore. So sweet. And by February, she knew that God had given her a love true and deep for George. Mm. She was confident of his love for her. And then, you know, those days of spring and summer for them were filled with that happiness that's known to people in love. Yes. It's a good time for them. Mm. 
In the autumn, though, the day of parting came again. The men set out on mules for the interior to carry on their work with the Berbers and Sifru. And Maud, now 30, with Elizabeth, were off to the interior mission station in Meknes. So was he kind of going before her? You know, he had his assignment already. Yeah. Is that okay? So he had to go do that first. They couldn't get married right away. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Okay. The missionaries, including Maud, all wore long flowing Moroccan garments to make mm. themselves a little less conspicuous. Smart. Because Meknes was a city of political unrest. Mm. And so they needed to just kind of blend in a little. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Smart. <laughs> but in the nearby city of Michaud, the Berbers were actually friendly to the missionaries because of their relationship with George Reed, who had oh, once wow. lived among them. Oh, that's so neat. Yeah, he was really gifted with the Berbers. Yeah. Yeah. So one man in particular, whose name was Hussein, promised to protect Maud and Elizabeth. <laughs> At one point, when the unrest in the city reached the mission house, there were angry th- threats to bang down the door. Oh, my gosh. Um but miraculously, God kept them safe as Hussein and two other guards kept watch. Wow. The French did subdue um, the unrest, and overnight, Morocco then became considered a, quote, Christian nation. Oh, because France took over. That's right. That's Wow. That must have been—man, imagine that. One, one day you're Morocco, the next day you're a French territory. Wow. So everything changed. All of a sudden, the doors are wide open for the gospel now. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, that's cool. Hey. Yes. Yes. So Hussein became the first and only convert the GM mission had to show for mm. after 16 years of devoted effort um, by by missionaries. Wow. Um, yeah. It was hard soil. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So up to that point. And then I think, would, would there be more later? Yes, But at were. this point, after all, wow. Yeah. That just shows how hard it was until— the gospel. You know, all that plowing. Yes. Plowing, plowing for um, 16 years. But hooray, there was one Wow. And yeah. his name was Hussein. He became Maud's escort, and she witnessed the persecution mm. that he had to bear um, because of his faith in Christ. Wow. While she was in the villages, Maud would sit on the ground with the women, chat about the Savior, and keep her hands busy with sewing that she had brought along, again, trying to to fit in. Yeah. Um, when they went to gather wood, she went to gather wood, carrying the bundles on her back. Um, she went with them with to the spring to wash clothes and carry water. You know, they liked her. Yeah. Um, but they just didn't accept her testimony as truth. Mm. So like Hussein, Maud felt that mocking persecution. Interesting. But because no one could read, they asked for Maud to read to them at night. So what did she read? The gospel. The Bible, of course, yes. <laughs> so she would read and Hussein would translate very clearly. And then they would discuss spiritual matters deep into the night. At last, her dreams of pioneering were coming true. Oh, man. She just, yeah, man, she really felt called. I think that's kind of cool, too, that she was identifying with them. I'll carry wood with you. I'll get water with you. I mean, so no wonder she had a door. I mean, an open—I mean, that shows, like, why she had that opening to share the gospel. It's true. It is. She identified. That's really cool. She asked permission if she could go visit um, George in Seafru mm-hmm. um, because he was going to be leaving on a scouting tri- trip. Okay. And they, they said, yep, go ahead. So um, <laughs> she went to see him, and he was about to leave for— um, 
Timbuktu. Oh, wow. A real place. <laughs> a real place. Yes, in, in the Sudan. Okay. He was going with the director of the GMU. It's, it was 12,000 miles to the south of where they were Jeez. just to see um, how they might take the gospel into an unreached people. Wild. So they left in August 1913, and Maud um, found it really hard to keep her mind on her work mm-hmm. because of the fate of the two men was just ever before her. Hmm. In November, so that from August to November, right. um, she received news that the journey into the heart of the Sudan had been successful, and George Reed was to head up a party of missionaries to open up the work in that land. Oh, what a Yay. relief. That's cool. <laughs> yeah. That's neat. It's exciting. Mm-hmm. Um, so when he returned to Meknes in February of 1914, so this is started in August. Now she's seen him again in February. Okay. Um, so Maud is now, yep, in Sifru. Okay. Um, she returned to Meknes to be near George because these were, this was his last month in Morocco. Oh, right, before going off on that next, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. His next appointment. Mm. So they both knew that with frail health— Maud could not survive the rigors of the ministry in the Sudan. Mm. Later, George's adventures were printed in the missions magazine, um, which recorded that they crisscrossed the country with walking trips of over 300 miles. Oh my gosh. George Reed preached in the open air whenever possible, and he set up a systematic visitation program that reached 1,000 people per month. Mm. Reading that, Maud would have known that she could never have physically kept up with the Sudan team. But she would have admired George's pioneering gifts, Mm. as she always had, because Maud, too, had that pioneer's heart. And so she would have rejoiced that many who had never heard the gospel now had the opportunity to know him. Mm, So kingdom-minded. Wow. I know. So mutually, um, they broke off the engagement. Mm. Each one moving forward in their calling, George to the Sudan, 1,200 miles south, and Maud to Sifru. She said, I am more of a weed than a tree. (laughs) Oh, may some fragrance flow out to Jesus from this crushed weed. Mm. Back at Sifru, with tears, she wrote in her journal, When in the west my sun has set— when wiped the lashes often wet, when silenced every sad regret, it will not matter then. When I see my Savior's face and hear his welcome home to me to share his bliss eternally, it will not matter then. Hmm. Well, wow. What mattered now was that a sovereign, loving God had led Maud Carey and George Reed to choose a life of total willing submission to him, and God was about to keep Maud very busy in Morocco. Yeah, man. That's intense. I mean, if you really think about that, and I know for me personally, I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, this is the one little part of this story that most resonated with me. I may have mentioned before in a previous episode that I was engaged uh, several years back um, to a man with chronic health issues. So it's interesting. It's almost like the reverse of Maud and George here. Yes. And, um, you know, in the end, as we move forward in faith, we got to the point where the Lord asked us to lay that down for him, you know, for his sake. Yeah. And a lot of mystery in that. And I'm sure for these guys, it would have felt mysterious. They both had a heart 
yeah. for that pioneer ministry. They both were so like-minded, wanted to do the same thing. So it's like, why, Lord? Why is my health in the way? But, yeah. you know, just having that kingdom-mindedness, like I said, that really just resonated with me because mm-hmm. the Lord empowered, I know, me and, and Darren, my fiance, mm-hmm. to to lay our relationship down. And, and, you know, yeah. and just to have that eternal perspective is like, yeah. it's divine. You can't have it any other way because it is so— Obedience. Yeah. And I, I love that um that poem, you know, it will not matter then in light of eternity. It's like, yeah. man, it, it really that weight of glory, it, it it's so far outweighs what we have here on earth. And um, I don't know, it's just a, a divine a divine moment to be able to see that and understand it. I don't I don't yeah. think I would have ever, you know, no. appreciated that yeah. the same way, you know, no. as with what I went through. So I think yeah. ev- every person faces mystery at some point point in their walk. Yeah. And it's really hard to explain to people because mm. um what's that proverb that, you know, you alone just know your heart. Yes. And one spirit other, of man. And that's yeah. God. And so yeah, the as best we can we explain mystery, but Yeah. Yeah, there's some of those things some that things are just impossible to understand. And we won't know till heaven. No. Yeah. But it's you know, obedience is better. Absolutely. It is so worth it. It really is. And just what the Lord shows you in that. And I think Maude and George, I think, man, well done, good and faithful (laughs) servants. Honestly, to put the kingdom first. And I mean, man, that reward was great, I'm sure, in heaven. Mm. So so like I said, you know, Maude was about to get really busy because her missionary role um, began to take on new challenges. She opened up gospel shops in Sifru and Meknes and also attempted the same in Bahalil, Agorai, and Ain Jamaa. Imagine this woman. Mm, wow. <laughs> yeah, just that pioneering heart. Yeah. Yeah. Just to so, keep going after yeah. her heartbreak, you know, yeah. it's like, wow. That's <laughs> so each morning she manned her post, mm. leading devotions, handling the business matters. She delivered babies. <laughs> she nursed the sick. Comforted lonely wives taught their children to read, write, and do sums. She was called on to check and correct Bible translations, to teach several languages, and to match wits with the wisdom of the local men in deep theological debates. Mm. In any one of her languages, Maud could turn the conversation to the gospel story for scholars, women, or children to understand. Brilliant. I know. She could reach every level with the gospel. That's amazing. Spirit-filled and gifted with language. Seriously. That was her. So uh, in 1917, Maud went to the Berber settlement of Ain Jamaa. It was 18 miles from Meknes. Um, It was in Girwan territory and hosted about 150 tents. Awesome. (laughs) Tents. Reluctantly, the governor rented her a room. Um, it was an empty two-bedroom house for, he said, a short stay. <laughs> a few weeks later, Maud returned to open a mission station there. <laughs> <laughs> Not so short. <laughs> no. She was with her frail friend, Elizabeth, again, hmm. back in Morocco for a third try at missionary work. Oh my gosh. So this lady went home and back three yeah. times? Yeah. That is commitment. My well, goodness. Yeah, I, mean, if you, I guess if you've got a pioneer call, you just have to go. Wow. It's that compulsion. Yeah. So Ain Jamaa was an ideal location as it hosted Market Day, which brought hundreds of people from distant villages. The people were curious and friendly on Market Day, um, and this gave the missionaries an open door to share the gospel. Hmm. And best of all to the missionaries, 
um, Ain Jamaa was a gateway to the brutal tribe, um, the Zemor. Zemor. Um, and this tribe boasted 60,000 people. Wow, that's pretty substantial. It is. Yeah. It's huge, really. And so this became the target for the Meknes mm-hmm. team. And for the next two years, the team of men and women considered despised Christians traveled unmolested wow. throughout the very heart of that um, savage tribe. That's miraculous. I know. The French had conquered that territory. And thus, for a season, the door was open to travel for the missionaries. Wow. And this would have been an unreached group, right? Yes, exactly. Okay. A new yeah. unreached group. All right. In the autumn of 1919, Maud became ill. Quinine would not reduce her fever, and soon she was diagnosed with something called Malta fever, brucellosis. It was caused by the ingestion of unpasteurized milk or meat that was um, undercooked from infected animals. Almost like trichinosis type of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Two weeks later, her temperature had gone down, but now she developed symptoms of appendicitis. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, and these um, symptoms subsided, and pleurisy set in her lungs. So I know. So when at last she was able to travel, she was moved to southern Spain for a rest away from the pressures of the field. Oh, good. They gave her a furlough. It's like you need to. (laughs) And rest she did. Oh, good. Um, The following year, in 1920, she returned to Morocco, but with a limp. Hmm. But Hmm. she spoke Spanish fluently. Dude, she was amazing. I, know. I mean, she's not like a young kid here. I mean, well, that's she's 42. That's really actually pretty remarkable. I know. It's usually the older you get, the harder that is. So, yes. what a gift. <laughs> Just redeem the time, that girl. Seriously. Four years later, um, there was a, a Bible conference held, mm. and they had five baptized believers, um, the fruit of 25 years of ministry. Mm. Um, Wow. One cool thing was, um, okay, wait, that makes six, doesn't it? Because Hussein and mm-hmm. five more, yeah. that would make six. Okay. Yeah. Um, the thing that was really remarkable was that in the families, the the husbands no longer beat their wives wow. and they shown, showed kindness to their kids. Wow. And they had this genuine concern now for the welfare of the family. So that was an amazing testimony. Yes. In that culture. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like that's, yeah, with a lot of pioneer work, it's getting just a couple of the people saved. And then eventually, maybe after the missionary's gone. Yes. It takes because people in the tribe or village see that. So yes. that change, that's cool. That it's genuine. Yeah. So another four years passed. It's 1928 now, hmm. and Maud returns to Sifru um, with a new missionary named Signa Johnson. Um, most of the people in Sifru knew Miss Carrie, and the women and the children loved her. They respected her mercy, and she had a real genuine concern for the poor. Sweet. Uh, when she opened her bag to find her Bible, she would pull out sweets for the kids. Um, they would call from the street, Miss Terry, Miss Terry. Oh, that's cute instead of Miss Carrie. Yeah. <laughs> Her name became a byword um, to the town of 10,000 people. She had been away for four years, um, but as they watched her move, move her belongings into the house, Miss Terry, Miss Terry filled the air. So sweet. Within hours, friends and enemies stopped by to say hello. Enemies? Yes. <laughs> Children um, asked to come read with her, um, and while the whitewash on the wall hadn't even dried yet, classes were begun. Wow. Um, 
they came to listen to preaching of the Word of God, um, but they also had lively debates. There were two classes each week for the Muslim boys um, and one for the girls, as well as two a week for the Jewish boys and one for the girls. The work among the Jewish children became the most encouraging, and her first fruit from these meetings was among um, three young Jewish boys. Oh, cool. um, there was also opposition of course. for Maud and Signa, but they carried on fearlessly. Hmm. Uh, one boy, one Muslim boy, brought his gospel booklet, burned it on their doorstep, and then a few days later he came back with a bouquet of flowers to say he was sorry and make oh peace. Oh, my gosh. That's so cute. <laughs> Crazy. A little change of heart there, conviction. Uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> that's sweet. Within one year, though, um, their hopes of just dis- dis- um, expansion died. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because one by one, um, the missionary team— um, started to diminish wow. as some were sent to other fields and some went home to enlist in the service of their country because war was on the horizon. Oh, so we're, okay, so this fast forwards a little bit to World War II now. Yes. Okay. So we're in September 1939. Oh, gosh. Okay. And World War II has officially broken out. Mm. And all possibility of further reinforcements is cut off. And the four women, Cigna, mm. Maud, Ellen, and Emma Jean, um, begin their wartime vigil at Meknes. Mm-hmm. Amaz- amazingly, they were able to keep all three stations open. Um, Maud wow. was in Sifru, Signa was in Meknes, and Ellen and Imogene were in Chemiset. Wow. There was scarce food, not mm. much food, so they found a way to plant seeds for food. Um, Resourceful. I know. And then financial support was also very spasmodic. Mm. Maud was alone um, in Sefru, and she kept up busy with her Bible classes and her home visitation. And these actually became very um, spiritual and fruitful years Mm. for the ministry. That's Um, neat. Yeah. That reminds me of um, Lily's Trotter, if anybody listened to that episode, during World War I. Yes. Trying to just stay fruitful. And it ended up being a really fruitful season, surprisingly, with the war. It's true. Mm. The Lord working in spite of, yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then many Jewish boys became um, very interested in studying God's Word. Cool. And so um, they— they continued on with that work. Awesome. Toward the end of the war, in 1945, a mm. party of seven missionaries joined the four women at Meknes. Who, um, the country had been closed for six years, Jeez. but the work had suffered very little because wow. of these faithful, uh, sacrificial labors of these four single women who stayed on the job. Four ladies kept it all going. Man, yes, that's just a miracle. <laughs> Crazy. So by 1948... Um, 11 new workers arrived, and Miss Carey, um, who loves Sifru, stayed in Meknes so that she could help the worker, the new workers with their language studies. Mm. She kept her apartment in Sifru, um, but visited whenever possible. Um, I love that. Yeah. Staying on again for others. She does. She's yeah. just, wow, what a trooper. I love that. Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. That's <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. In um, in Sifru, the missionaries and the American visitors who passed through were all known as Miss Terry, regardless uh, of their name, age, or sex. Everyone? That's yeah. so funny. So if they wow. saw a, an American passing by, they'd shout out, Miss Terry, Miss Terry. That's such a—what a reputation. I know. They, they, they just—yeah, they all thought of her. <laughs> yeah. 
Although she never lived in the new mission house um, there, it was called Miss Terry's House and became one of the most remarkable evangelistic centers in Morocco. Mm. So Miss Terry, now 71, was called to open a work in El Hajib with her co-worker, Verna Jantz, who was still a language student. At 71. I know. And you think of her health issues. I mean, really, it's miraculous she hadn't, like, had to retire or— Hadn't passed away, honestly, because of all of that. It's just the Lord's keeping. It's true. She's walking in her, according to her calling and the will of God. And so he's keeping her while she's there. It's really beautiful. Um, Immediately, they set out to get acquainted with the townspeople. um, And then interestingly, this is such a great part of the story. Mm. George Reed, now age 79, and she's 71. Was visiting at this time from the Sudan. Wow. Having lived among the Mijo Berbers for many years, his presence was an asset. Of course. The beginning of the work was made easier by the occasional visits of Mr. Reed to El Hajib. Within a month, the women had scheduled three Bible classes a week, one for women, one for girls, and one for little boys. Wow. So how gratifying for these two pioneer missionaries— to meet again under these circumstances. That's the kindness of God. That is so sweet. Isn't it? Yeah, man. They had parted 38 years prior, <coughs> each to follow the call of their God. And now that same sovereign God had timed George visit George's visit mm. to give Maud an assist with the work in El Hajib. I what love it. What a fitting it. ending to their story, Jazz. It is. Just God bringing it full circle. There's just, yeah— it's, it's, yeah, great? you're just no regret when you're serving and living for the Lord. I just thought that's just so kind, yeah. you know, that, that was honored the, their decision. It's true. And that was the last thing that George got to do was spend time with Ma wow. and help her start a new work before he retired to oh. the States that year. Mm-hmm. He'd been a missionary for the GMU for 54 years. Gosh. And um, he moved back to America Um his Bible translation was published in 1963, mm. and then he passed away in 1966 when he was 94. Wow. What a life well lived. I know. I just, man, I love that. I know. It's so good. So we're almost to the end here, but yeah. I just wanted to tell you that mm. um, even though the work at El Hajib was an uphill grind for Maud and Verna, um, they had help from the French government because— Wow. Okay. Yeah. They the the boys in the town kept pelting their door with stones, and um, they the government intervened to stop that. But you know, opposition was nothing new to Miss Carrie. Yeah. Um, and she said, "Hey, the work is prospering, as one can tell by my battered front door." Oh, I love it. That's, that's like um, Lilius Trotter, the door of a thousand dents. That's yes. what they called their door. I mean, and it's interesting because they were in a similar area in there in North Africa. So yes, very right. interesting. A lot of parallels here. It, there, mm-hmm, there are. It's neat because her her optimism, you know, at seventy one, mm. spread to her young coworkers. I love it. And she learned how to persevere and mm. keep her joy alive. Um, and then after one year, one boy declared, "I will follow Christ." He was only fifteen, and two of his friends felt the same. So we're getting converts. Yes, Yay. that's the way it is, right? They start with one, and then they all bring their friends to Christ. I love it. So they started a Bible school in January 1952, and those three especially eager, dedicated young men were the first 
were the first to attend. Mm -hmm. um, two of them were from El Hajib. The work continued to prosper, and then in 1953, Morocco exploded again. Oh, man. Yeah. Foreigners were killed. Property was burned. <sighs> but miraculously, God protected all of the 31 GMU missionaries, mm. plus their properties. That's miraculous. Yeah. Wow. Crazy. With political upheaval. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When the original three students graduated from the Bible school, the school was closed for lack of students. Mm. It was 1955, and it had been a really hard year. Mm. Um, and at that time, Miss Carey contracted another rare, rare disease called oh, pemphigus. Okay. Um, oh. At 78, she retired from the mission field, and like George Reed, Maud Carey had completed 54 years on the mission field. Oh, the same number of years as him. Yeah. I, I love it. I know. Back in America, she watched daily for the mail mm. from um, Morocco um, that might fuel her prayers. Mm. And in 1967, at the age of 88, she stepped into the presence of her Lord. Sweet. Two years later, in 1969, all the Christian missionaries were expelled from the country. Mm. For the first time in 75 years, there was not one gospel mission, union missionary wow. left in Morocco. But— the remnant of the Moroccan believers stood true. Um, the devotion of Miss Terry and her fellow workers was not forgotten. I love that. That reminds me of First Peter 1, you know, where it says that, like, the word of God endures forever, right? Yes. It lives and abides forever, and it continues on yeah. through the people themselves. And so we see that a lot, I think, in missions history. Yeah. And so it's never, you know, it never dies. It doesn't. I it love endures. that. I love that. Wow. What a life well lived for Jesus. I'm just, man, I'm just so blessed by her story. I know personally, but just in general, I hope yeah. all of you are also blessed by that story. And I'm really glad mom came to share that with you guys. Mom, like it's your mom. <laughs> My mom came. <laughs> so Debbie Allnut. My pleasure. Thank, thank you, you so for much. joining You're us welcome. today thank on you. Women Worth Knowing. And we will see you again next time for another episode. Oh, possibly another one with Debbie Allnut. Just letting you know. <laughs> Bye. Thank you for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett. For more information on Cheryl, visit CherylBroderson.com or follow her on Instagram or Facebook. You can also follow Jasmine on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook. If you think there is a woman worth knowing, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at wwk at cccm.com. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode. Make sure you've subscribed and don't forget to rate us on your podcast app and share it with friends. Thank you again for listening to Women Worth Knowing with Cheryl Broderson and Jasmine Allnett.